Welcome to Grace Point this morning. Um, to those of you joining us online, I'm glad you're joining us that way. I pray that God just moves mightily in, in our midst. This is my last official day, uh, a Sunday, as lead pastor here at Grace Point. Next week, Aaron will be installed. And uh, I've had a wonderful journey over the last 28 years uh, in ministry personally, and I'm so grateful. January 1st was my 14th year here, anniversary, uh, just a week ago. And so God has graced me with, with a, a wonderful opportunity to be here for 14 years. Um, just to clarify, I'm not retiring, I'm transitioning. I know people don't know the difference. They say, what are you going to do in your retirement? Well, I'm not retiring. I'm transitioning. I'm hoping to do some things and continue to do some things in ministry, but I'll figure that out as time unfolds here over the next few months. As I considered what to share on to, uh, uh, for today's message, I was drawn to Hebrews chapter 12, mainly because it's some of my favorite scripture in the Bible. I love the book of Hebrews. I've loved the book uh, chapter that I'm going to read today to you. Uh, I've tried to live this out in my life. It's, it, it's, it's stuff that's very personal to me, very meaningful uh, t- uh, to me. And so please understand that I'm not going to try to break this scripture down into a whole bunch of little points. That's not my goal today. Uh, I'm going to read the scripture to you and take away a few points that have been just life-changing for me as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 for us uh, today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastises everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father's spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness." No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So Hebrews 12 begins with this picture. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It's really referring back to to chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's referring back to the great saints that have gone uh, before us. Uh, Ones like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, and Isaac, and Joseph, and Moses, and Rahab, and Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and David, and Samuel, and all the ones who have been martyred. And I would add, and all the ones who since the writing of Hebrews have come and followed Jesus Christ. It's, it's painting this picture that these ones are, are looking at us, and they're testifying from their heavenly dwelling now. Run the race. You can do this. 
We've done it. It's worth it all when you see Christ face to face. And part of the problem I think we have when we read such a scripture is we don't have the, the yearning and the desire for this heavenly dwelling that we're all running the race towards. And so I begin to think about heaven. What's heaven really like? Heaven's a marvelous place, so I'm going to give you a few descriptors of heaven today that spur me on in my own faith, and I pray they spur you on in your faith. First of all, when I think of heaven, I think of mansion dwellings with Jesus. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and if he's gone to prepare a place for us, he's going to come back and take us to where he is. So he's building these mansions in heaven, and he's making dwellings for his people to be with him. It's a city of worship. Now, when we use that word worship, I know there's sometimes mixed feelings in our midst. I love to worship God. I love to worship him in many forms. I love to worship him in prayer and singing, and I love to worship him in posture, in creation, in his word. When we get to heaven, guess what we're going to focus on, folks? Worship. We practice here to be uh, ready to, to participate fully when we get uh, to heaven. It's a place of diverse people all worshiping Jesus. Every tribe, every color, every nation, uh, they're all going to be there worshiping Jesus Christ. It's going to be a marvelous sight to behold all this unity of people who are so utterly different, standing together and giving praise and honor and glory and, and, and worshiping Jesus with all their heart. It's going to be filled with peace and joy and praise. Peace and joy and praise. Uh, in this world, we're not going to have a lot of peace. Jesus, his peace will be on us, but the world is not a peaceful place. When we get to heaven, it's going to be peace indescribable. It's going to be praise that we can't even imagine. It's going to be a joyous experience. It's a powerful experience, too. There's lightning and thunder, as told in Revelation chapter 4. It's just powerful. It's, it's, it's the power of God. Uh, manifested and made known without any kind of filter. We're just going to be able to experience that. It's the building materials are precious. There's gemstones, pearl gates, and gold roads. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not one that's enamored by such things, but I imagine that's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty spectacular. What do you think? Yep. There's a tree of life in the center of it, and the saints will get to eat of it. There's going to be this restoration back to the originality of what God intended in the Garden of Eden. There's going to be a tree of life right in the center of it. And then the light of God will illuminate it, so there's no need of a lamp. The older I get, the more I need light. How about some of you that relate to me? Like, I just can't see very well. I don't like the dark. And, and the light of God is going to illuminate heaven, and, and his glory is going to shine so brightly that there will be no need of any kind of light. So the witnesses are standing in this kind of environment. The ones that have gone before us, they're standing in heaven. They're, they're, they're looking down on us in this indescribable place of power and beauty and worship. And they're looking down on you and me, and they're saying, you can do it. We're pretty through this big thought today. Run the race with perseverance that God has marked out for you. That's our big thought today. That's been my life verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 has been my life verse. Run with perseverance the race that God has marked out for you. It is a verse that I think of all the time. It's been directional in my life. It's been something that I've clung to when I've been down. It's been something I've clung to when I've been up. I run the race marked out for me with perseverance. I run what God has ordained for my life. I fully push into that with no reservation. I go where God wants me to go, and I run with all all of the passion that I have within me following God. It's not someone else's race that I run. 
God has a specific race for me to run. He has a specific race for you to run. I have a specific family history. So do you. I have certain giftings that make me unique. So do you. I have a time in history that's unique to my uh, my existence. So do all of us. I am placed in situations that God has specific designs for. So are all of you. With this kind of, uh, you know, general thinking, then I have a specific race marked out for me uh, to run that's uniquely mine. And God calls me, run the race. You know what he calls you to do? Run! Run the race marked out for you with passion and with perseverance. Now, I've seen my life as running a lap. I used to run track. Faith and some others, do you like to run track? You would run your lap hard, and then you'd give the baton to somebody else, and they would run. And one of the things I realized about running our lap that God has marked out for us, running the race God has marked out for us, we stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. We don't do this thing alone. Like, for instance, pastoring here. I readily recognized when I came here, especially and started pastoring at, at Grace Point, that I was standing on the shoulders of people like Joe Cola and Isaac Smith and Tim Purcell. They had run their lap before me. God had ordained them for that time and for that purpose. And they did well. And I remember thinking, Lord Jesus, let me run the race marked out for me with perseverance. Let me run it well, because I only have one life to live, and I want to live it for your glory and for your purposes. This is why frequently here at Grace Point, we'll give a pastor of a new ministry a baton. What we're saying is, run the race. It's a reference to the scripture. Run the race marked out for you. Run it with perseverance. Run it with passion. Throw yourself wholeheartedly into that ministry, and then when you're done, hand it off to somebody else that they can run their race marked out for them. I've always seen my life this way, friends. I've always looked at my life this way. I've always thought, I need to run the race, whatever God has for me, I need to run it for his glory and for his, with passion. So are you running your lap well? That's my question to you, even as we get into the message. How are you doing when you look at your life? Do you parent running that lap well? You will not always parent small children. Are you doing it unto the Jesus now, in the moment that you find yourself in? Are you running it for his glory? How about work? Are you running that lap well? Are you working as unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you running that well? Are you persevering? Um, how about your spouse and your marriage? Do you run it well? Are you doing this to, to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you running that lap well? Listen, run! By the way, I played sports the same way. Either you do it or you don't, but don't do it halfway. Do it all the way. Whatever you do, get in there and get after it. Amen? Amen? If God wants you to do it, then do it as unto him and do it with passion and do it with perseverance. As I finish my lap here at Grace Point, I can look back and I can earnestly say, I've run this lap unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had one motivation to glorify Jesus in the 14 years I've been here. I can say that with honesty. I had no other motivation. Did I stumble? Yeah. The trip up at time? Yeah. Did some of you irritate me? Yeah. <laughs> did I irritate some of you? Yeah, right? Did, did some things not go that great? Yeah. But when I look at my heart and I look at my passion for Jesus Christ, my sole motivation is that you know Jesus and him resurrected. That's been my sole motivation for the last 14 years. This isn't about me. It's not about Aaron either next week. 
It's about Jesus Christ. And we are all called to run our lap before him. And we're to run it with, with perseverance. When running a race, I always think of Eric Little, that, that Olympian that they made the Chariot to Fire movie about. Uh, he, he's one of my faith heroes. And I love some of the things that he said. He, he, he was destined to be a missionary in China. And, um, but he was a really good runner, really fast runner. And I don't know if you've watched the movie, but his sister Jenny was just struggling with him running. She thought it was a distraction that he needed to get about his work of going to China. But I love what Little said to her at one point, and I'm going to quote him. He said this, I believe God made me for a purpose. So he's saying, I believe God made me for the purpose of of being a missionary. But he also made me really fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so he's saying to Jenny, I'm going to run because I'm fast. And when I run... I feel God's pleasure. He said, I'm not going to neglect the call to China, but I'm going to do the thing that God has ordained for me to do. See, he's ran the race that God marked out for him. Not what someone else said you should do. He did what he felt God wanted him to do. And then he went on to the mission field in China. By the way, he died in China. So he followed God so hard that he gave his life up following God and pursuing God. How are you doing? Do you run your race with perseverance and passion? Let's talk about how to do this. Let's address that one question. How do we run our race that God has ordained for us, that God has marked out for us? First of all, we fix our eyes. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We run this race with a radical fixation on Jesus Christ. That's how you run your race. You don't look to the left. You don't look to the right. You look to Jesus Christ, and you run for him and for his glory, and that's what motivates you. Little also said this, no man who really is a man ever cared for the easy task. There is no enjoyment in the game that is easily won. It is that in which you have to strain every muscle and sinew to achieve victory that provides real joy. We're not called, friends, to an easy life. We're called to a right life in Jesus Christ. We're not called to a pain-free, comfortable life. We're called to a giving, sacrificial life in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we get to heaven and we see Jesus Christ face to face, it will be worth it all. When we get to that destination. (laughs) I mentioned a couple weeks ago in that message that I didn't uh, hear until I was three. And uh, so I had speech problems for a lot of years of my life. And the problem was fixed, and it was behind me uh, by the time I was in about fourth or fifth grade, sort of. But I avoided all speech classes. I avoided any public speaking all the way through college. I avoided every class I could that had anything to do with that. And so when I was 23 and God began to work on my heart, calling me into ministry, and I think that's why it took 10 years for me to respond and actually pursue ministry, I just couldn't see how this would work. I did not like public speaking. I remember my first meeting at 3M, there were three of us, and I got sick to my stomach as I had to present to two people. Anybody ever been there? I thought, I'm going to check up on this table (laughs) right now. And so I didn't see how this could possibly work. And this is the point I want to make. God doesn't call you into something that you're comfortable at. And it's not, when you run the race, it's not something you decide. It's something that God decides and you just, and you become obedient to it. 
And God called me to run this race of pastoring. And what I've learned is that he works mightily through broken vessels. And I've learned this principle. What God calls you to do, he equips you to handle. Whatever God calls you to do, he equips you to handle. Did you hear that? So if he calls you to marriage, he has equipped you to handle it. If he calls you to pastor, lead pastor, try not to look at Aaron, he equips you to handle that. He equips you. He gives you the equipping when you step into the calling. If he's called you to work at some place and you're working with a whole bunch of people that are tough to work with, he has equipped you to handle it. Will you be obedient and will you cry out to him for that equipping becomes the question. I've experienced this principle over and over and over again in my life. Let's move on to the next point. Jesus models for us how to run the race marked out for us. So this is point two. Consider Jesus and what he went through so that you continue to run the race. Always look to Christ. Always look at the sacrifice he made. Always look at his perseverance so that you continue to run the race marked out for you. Think about what Jesus experienced. He experienced all of his closest disciples, all of his closest friends deserting him in his greatest hour of need. He's going to the cross and he went utterly alone. All of them left him. They all ran away and hid. Now, he came back to these same folks, and he continued to call them. He continued to befriend them, and he would not let failure define them. He restored them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they became world changers. But think about that moment of the cross. How utterly lonely it must have been to carry the burden of the whole world on your shoulders and have those closest to you desert you. Think about the pain I thought about doing a series for years. It was called Never Give Up, Never Surrender, using Galaxy Quest as some of the catching phrase. Do you know the movie Galaxy Quest, anybody? Don't watch it. It's a terrible, terrible, stupid movie with Tim Allen in it. It's hilariously dumb. Okay, it's kind of, a, kind of a spoof on Star Trek and Star Wars, which are bad enough in and of themselves. Now, if you're a Trekkie, I'm sorry. If you're a Star Wars guy, I'm not sorry. So, at um, any rate, <laughs> in this movie, um, I'm not going to get into the movie, but there was a silly quote that they said, all, not a silly quote, a quote they said all the time uh, by Tim Allen, who was a captain of supposedly this, this uh, movie, Anyway, I can't get into it. He, he always said, never give in, never give up. Never give in, never give up. I thought that would be a great series. We're never to give in, we're never to give up as the people of God. And so I thought, oh, I, I remember that Winston Churchill quote. And I, I got to this point in the series and never looked back at it again. But Winston Churchill said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except the conviction of honor and good sense. Anybody remember that quote? I remember that quote as a kid. Never, never, never give in. Right? World War II, anybody? Does this resonate with some of you? Never, never give in. And I thought that is a great definition of the perseverance that's being described to us in Hebrews chapter 12. We're to never, ever give in. We're to never, ever give up. We're always to be fixated on Jesus Christ and following after him. And we're to consider all that Christ went through and he continued to run the race marked out for him. And that's supposed to encourage us that whatever we go through, we can run this race marked out for us. So Jesus' race took him to the cross, but he saw past the pain to the joy of those who would be saved. 
Running the race that God has marked out for you, friends, it'll, it'll involve some pain. I can guarantee you that. At some point in your life, you'll have some hard things happen. And that'll be part of the race that you're running. Will you look through that pain to the joy set before you? That's why we talked about heaven. What's set before every one of us ultimately is the joy of heaven. That has to prevail at times in our lives because what you're going to be going through is hard. And it could be something that derails you if you're not willing to model your life after Christ and look through the pain for the joy set before you. There awaits for us a heavenly dwelling that's indescribable. Now, I've often thought this, uh, uh, but this is where verse 12, uh, Hebrews 12 takes us next. I've, I've often thought on this. Keep the proper perspective on problems you face. You haven't shed blood. You haven't shed blood. The Hebrew writer, writer comforts his, his readers with this struggle that they're going through. He's saying, listen, I know you're going through some hard things in your life, but look at this. You have not yet shed blood over it. And as I read on this and kind of studied it a little bit over the years, basically what this is referring to is that frequent, frequently as a follower of God, you're going to rub against people who don't like you simply because you're a follower of God. And they may persecute you. At times, they may do physical damage to you. At times, they may even martyr you. It's, it's talking about the sinfulness of others against the body of Christ. And, and the writer of Hebrews was saying to this group he's writing to, and to us, he could probably be saying this, listen, I know you have some hard things going on, but you haven't shed blood over it yet. Keep that perspective. Because there's a real possibility of persecution and shedding of blood. So what the Hebrew writer is saying, keep your problems in perspective. Don't let them become bigger than they are. And I, I always say, take a step back and look at the big picture. They've tripped on that puppy too. I just unplugged it, so now they'll really have it. Um, but to take, a, take a step back and look at the big picture. Often in life, big problems, friends, are only big problems for a short amount of time. I don't know if that brings any comfort to you at all. But we got to remember sometimes that what we're going through isn't necessarily what we're going to be locked into the rest of our lives. Sometimes I've had relational issues. And we get through them. Recently, I, I think for about five years in a row, I had a major surgery about every year. And I begin to think, what does this mean? I'm so tired of doctors. I'm so, t no offense, Abby, to people who does doctoring stuff. But I just like, you know, I just don't want to ever see a doctor again. And, and now I'm locked into seeing like four specialists a year for like the rest of my life. Right? You follow what I'm saying? And I, I, I remember when I was laying on one of the tables, the nurse was talking to me. I said, I just want to go home. I don't want to look at your smiling face because I don't feel like smiling back, right? <laughs> and so you think sometimes when you're in that moment of pain, I'm locked in, am I locked into this forever? No, no. Recently, I read the following. She said this. I know people who have had difficult childhoods. This is a, a, a lady writing. I myself, she said, had a childhood that was fraught with stress because my parents had a bad marriage in a contentious divorce. However, once I became an adult, I became independent of them, and that problem went away. I was able to leave that dysfunction behind. Of course, I'm sad that I didn't have a Norman Rockwell kind of childhood, but I was able to work through it and work hard to create the beautiful life I now have. Problems don't have to define us. 
We can analyze them, but in Christ, we can be overcomers and we can move through them to a, a, a different moment. We've got to keep everything in perspective. There's more to life frequently than the single moment that you find yourself in. So if you're going through something really difficult right now, pray to Jesus. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. But take some comfort in your heart of hearts, knowing that this may not be where I am the rest of my life. And keep the problem in perspective. Don't let yourself or others make the problem bigger than it is. We tend to exaggerate our own problems, if we're honest. And minimize other people's problems, if we're honest. One lady I was reading in a, a podcast said, there are two types of people in your life. There are the folks who are magnanimous, who want what is best for you, who are encouragers, who are exhorters, who will say, you can do this, and you can get through this. If nothing else, I'll say, you know what? You're going to be fine, ultimately. Try not to worry about it right now. They're, they're kind of encouraging to you. And then she goes on to say, then there are the folks who aren't really that much of a blessing. I'm, gonna, I'm saying it nice. Rather, they enjoy drama. They'll take any problem you have and tell you the situation that you're in is an utter disaster. They are the folks I refer to as chicken littles. That's her language, not mine. But I'm on the, you know, since I'm the last message is lead pastor, I honestly don't care what you think. So for, for many, many years, my husband was in the hot, uh, for, for many, let me go back. I got to center now. She goes on to say this, many years ago, many years ago, my husband was in the hospital and I had to deal with a chicken little social worker. She was convinced that my husband was going to die and she has been convincing me of the same. So she was making the problem worse than it actually was. Notwithstanding her diagnosis, my husband today is alive, healthy, and a highly active individual. And the best thing I did at the time was to ignore this person. She concluded by saying, keep the emotional drama of others out of the situation. I would add this. Keep your own emotional drama out of the situation as much as possible. Don't exaggerate problems. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's easy to think of every worst-case scenario and let your mind go crazy. Don't do that. Stop yourself. Have someone slap you across the face or something, whatever it takes. But don't do that. It takes you to these really dark places fast that you don't need to go to. Now, what I love about Hebrews, even in this section of Hebrews, it's so transformative in its message. Now, I'm a Wesleyan folks very much on, pur- on purpose. I grew up in the Lutheran church. I explored a whole bunch of d- different denominations. I landed in the Wesleyan dom- denomination because I love the message of transformation as part of our heritage and part of our doctrine. And I love how Hebrews is, is really a transformative section of Scripture here because the Hebrew writer basically says, you're not shedding blood. Don't worry about it. But he takes us beyond that, have perspective, and, and he says, Realize this, God uses all these hard things in your life to discipline you because his goal is to create a holy people, a transformed people, a people who are learning from these hardships how to cling to Jesus more and how to deal with these flaws in their own character. So, so it's a very transformative kind of uh, message. And we can choose, friends, to focus on problems and magnify them and become cynical and bitter or you can choose to focus on how Christ wants to change you and how he wants to transform you and how he maybe wants to use trials to do that very kind of thing in your life. Let's go to point four. 
receive trials in the devices of godly discipline. God, does, God has a destination in, in this race we're, we're running. I, I, of course it's heaven, but it's also to take us to a state of holiness. And the Hebrew writer notes for this intended end to, to, to take place, you're going to probably have to go through some hard things because God disciplines those whom he loves. He lets you go through some of these things so you can see who you really are and maybe see who others really are. And these things discipline us for our good and we're to be trained by them so that we become a holy follower of God. So realize that problems are never just problems. Problems provide a learning opportunity when approached correctly. Every struggle that we encounter can educate us. It can teach our soul. When you have a struggle and your first reaction is, ah! well, you probably got a problem, right? God maybe wants to deal with your anxiety and your fears. He doesn't want that to be the reaction. He wants your reaction to be one of, of, of basically, um, you know, you're kind and you're under control of the spirit and you're a decent human being to others. In our culture today, I would say we, we, we would be civil and courteous, not like we're seeing on public display so frequently where we don't have any civility anymore or any kind of courteous treatment of one another going on. We are called to a different standard, friends, in Christ. We are called to model Christ's likeness. So how do you handle stressful situations? How do you handle those who are opposed to your faith and maybe start ridiculing you? Do you, do you approach that with you know, emotional and, and spiritual maturity? Are you modeling the, the character of Christ? When you have a struggle, especially relational struggle, of getting along with somebody else, <laughs> uh, it can reveal a lot about yourself and about that other person. And if it's one of disagreement with an unbeliever and you're a believer... I would tell you, don't expect that unbeliever to act like a believer. They're not going to. Just don't expect that. But that's, a, that's a false expectation that's going to lead you to disappointment every time. So when our culture, who's categorically kind of rejected Christ, doesn't act very Christ-like, that doesn't surprise me. How about you? What happens is frequently we'll have another believer that we have a disagreement with. And we may think, well, they're not acting very Christ-like. And you may not be either. We always think when we have a disagreement with somebody that we're open-minded and kind and they're struggling more and, and, and have some more issues. Give them the same space, the same consideration that you give yourself, right? Maybe they're not that far off. Maybe you're off. Maybe you're both off. But give them some consideration and step back from the thing and realize they're on a journey in their faith, you're on a journey in your faith, and you're probably both a little bit immature. What do you think? And some of you are going, ooh, can you say that? Sure I can. Because I do this all the time. I always think, I have pure motives. They don't have pure motives. Right? Do you ever do that? I vilify them, but I, I wouldn't do the same thing. Don't do that to others. Don't do that to yourself. Now I'm just rambling, but I'm going to go on rambling some. Have this perspective. Good times in your life don't last forever. A lot of you, I'm looking at you, not, there's not a lot of college students back. Some of you are back. I'm going to just say this to you. It's going to be a shock. You will not be young forever. Your body will not wake up and just do what it want, you want it to do without any maintenance at all forever. That will not happen. There will be points in your life like right now, I question, do I want to go on the floor and really pick that up or not? 
We were talking to Vicky's mom the other day. She's 86. And she was talking to her therapist. She, she had a hip replacement. And she said, so do I get on the floor and do these exercises? And the therapist said, absolutely not. You might not be able to get back up. And her mom said, that's true. <laughs> Never thought of that before, right? So that's what you all have to look forward to. So understand this. Good times don't last forever. Cherish them. Oh, cherish them. When you have a great family visit, recount that moment with your spouse or with a friend or with your kids. Make it a habit of just being thankful for those moments that God graces you with. Grab those moments. Make sure that you're putting them into that bank in your soul so that you have a different perspective as you age, a one of gratefulness and thankfulness and celebration. Um, I, 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 I really verbalize that anymore with Vicky, especially. We have a good day. I say, man, what a good day. I'm so glad I'm married to you. She probably gets tired of me saying that. We should go overboard with gratefulness and verbalizing it. Cherish the good moments. In the same way, understand bad situations, they probably don't last forever. Often in the middle of a bad situation, you can lose your perspective. You can think this may never change, and you may mistakenly think this will have no end. But normally you're not trapped. Normally they do resolve. But usually you have to do so, you know, with Christ and with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and with the guidance of God's Word and probably with the friendship of some of those in the community of faith. But you can get to resolution. When we remind ourselves of our many blessings, by the way, problems tend to have a different perspective. So I practice active gratitude anymore. I have a late, practice active gratitude. So instead of just saying, oh, I'm so grateful for this person, in my mind, I might say, Shane, I'm really grateful for you as a friend. I love who you are. I love your commitment to Christ. I might just say that out of the blue now. And then people go, oh. And they'll look at you strange the first time you do it. They don't know what to say. My wife says to me now, when someone says something nice to you, you know what you do? I said, no, say thank you. Oh, yeah, okay. So thank you, you know. And so you can just, you just thank the person for that, okay? So if you have a body that can exercise right now, you can play basketball, baseball, or frisbee, or I said in first hour, if you like to play pickleball, which, by the way, I guess is damaging a lot of old people. There's like a like huge amount of injuries happening now from pickleball. But if you can do these things and play them, thank God. Thank God for that moment. Thank God for the body that can do that. Practice active gratitude. Let me end with this conclusion. Run the race traveling light. Run your race traveling light. In biblical times, an athlete running a race in that culture would basically run with nothing on. They'd run naked. It was sanctioned streaking. They just would run naked because they didn't want anything weighing them down. The Hebrew writers tells us, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And we tend to go to the sin that entangles. But this, throw off everything that hinders is this idea of just shed all the weight, shed all the excess, get rid of stuff that's a distraction. Don't have any of that stuff in your life. And you run with single-mindedness the race that God has marked out for you. You look at that and you run and you run like that. You run that kind of faith. I see the saints today gathered together, friends. And they're gathered around what we call our lives. And there's a throng of them. Do you see the throng of them? And they're loud. And SDSU game today, it's going to be loud, don't you think? Yeah. They're not very loud compared to heaven. And they're looking at you as you run your race. 
And they're saying, we did it. We witness and testify that you can do it. Run the race that God has marked out for you. And they're exhorting you today, run, run, run. And that's how I'm going to end the message. Run the race God has marked out for you. So we're going to finish today with communion. It's going to be a powerful moment, I pray for you. It's a great sacrament. If you don't know the Jesus that I've talked about today, like I've talked about him, that's where this race starts. You've got to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And you've got to wholeheartedly follow after him. And so we're going to pray for that first, and then we're going to head into uh, some more communion. And we're going to go a little long today. I honestly don't care. So... um, I'm sorry, Aaron. I'm setting you up bad, aren't I? I I love you guys. I am so tired of worrying about clocks in my life. How about you? Now, as I get older, I don't know what day of the week it is anymore. So I asked Vicki what day of the week it is, like five times a day. She says, it's still Tuesday. Okay, good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I don't know if everyone here knows you. That's what I want for everyone. And I pray for anyone today who your Holy Spirit's pricking their heart. Perhaps they've known a lot about you, never really driven that stake into the ground and said, I'm going to follow you with all my heart, soul, and strength, Jesus. And I pray for some today that they would say, yeah, I am. I am one in need of Jesus as my Savior. If I get really honest, I don't know where I'm at. And I pray for such a one today to know where they're at, that they would say, Jesus, I desperately need you. I try to do life my way, and it's full of sin and wrong. And I pray today, Jesus, come in and be my Savior cleanse me from my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can walk forth from this time uh, in the ways that you would have for me that I would run a race marked out for me. I pray for some to make that decision today. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would see that every single one of us here today has a race marked out for us, a race that you've ordained for us to run. I pray that we'd run it with all of our strength, with passion, with perseverance, Lord. And may you be glorified in the running of that race. In your name, Jesus. Amen.